0: Hey, I'm just back in Dubai and from this veranda, it's Rochelle Potkar, your friend in the house, saying hello. I'm here this month particularly for the Emirates Airline Literature Festival 2022 where I would be sharing my poetry on 9th February at the open mic and on 12th February at a session called Desi Dramas. Do book tickets to the events and search for my short story collection Bombay Hangovers at the bookstore. So today I come with two small, slightly strange stories. *Gobble* and Curiosity *Gobble*. The sculptor had a clear voice when he was 20 and beginning the art of shaping and moulding as a mentee still on a tangent from the world's definitions of success. Still, when his diction was sharp, he sculpted masks, busts, models, statues, figures and figurines in metal, wood, terracotta, marble and granite. He carved waves in tresses, oceans in faces, spins in galaxies of human forms soon one day he stopped talking. His voice went into a monosyllabic grunt, then a disgruntled cough. People around asked his curators, gallerists, art festival directors, critics for what had gone wrong. How were they even to speak to him? His answers were garbled between Hindi, French and English. But generally, indecipherable. Soon they understood a tangent had gone too far. What came out was one startling sculpture after another. Alabaster panels that stopped onlookers in their strides, clay statues that spoke of worlds unspoken. When the middle-aged sculptor opened his mouth to speak of his medusa, Saraswati, Ganga, Tista. It was one discordant stream of sound. They led him further to doctors, speech therapists, psychotherapists and counsellors. But nothing changed. He only shook his head with every suggestion, this refraction going too far from the incident. Only he knew he was quoting posterity, whispering to echoes in stone, wax, wood and metal, He had traded with a lurking shadow when he began. He had called it upon himself, asking these questions again and again. What will happen to my art in the future? Will it see the global light of globalization? Or remain in a small village lost by the sea? The shadow had traded. Put something inessential on mortgage. it said sharply. He gave up his voice to save his vision. Let there be sound. It took away the noise. Let there be voice. It took away his language. When the sculptor died, he had 50 sculptures across avant-garde galleries, exhibitions and world museums. Also, miniaturized into memorabilia, merchandise, pen holders, fridge magnets and regaled off in glossy brochures curated over the internet, given a deep sense of retrospective, both by curators and punters. Years later, the watchful dead sculptor saw his sculptures cut the linear lines of time, the concentric circles of existence seizing, turning spiral and returning to infinity. All had caught on to his art. Students studied it It was trickling down the next generations. His silence substituted by hundreds of interpretations, either downplayed or exaggerated. In most cases, missing the point. His point gone into a blind spot of new meaning. But the world celebrated each of his sculptures for its own reasons. And now he had his sound back. The lingering, ageless shadow had returned it as promised. From his abdominal cavity, thoracic grid, the artist blew it like gusts through leaves and trees. He sculpted hurricanes, dust storms, clouds, aping all dear to him in a world of steel, clay, stone. But what was redeeming was he had saved his soul Senselessness was another voice too. Garble Now the second story friends is equally different. There were times when as a writer I was attacked by surprisingly different muses and ideas, much contrary to what I did expect to write. See for yourself. Curiosity Cop and Thief exchanged morbid glances in which they read each other's instincts. Chess, kabaddi, khokho, hockey. The games they played in their rural hometowns before coming to the sinking, stinking city, financial capital of the country, Mumbai. Spider and fly. Run and chase, nab and face. Now they were in the noisiest Udupi restaurant, face to face. Spider showed a glimpse of his gun, and with a tilt of his chin indicated they sit down. So Fly slid onto a chair across the table. How did you cut through that security, scaling Goshzilla, skyscraper of the richest man in the city, and robbing his wife's diamond jewellery, as if you were Ridik Roshan or Tom Cruise? You are stalling, said Roving Eyes Fly, Give me the chopper and I give you the boy. The boy was no ordinary boy. He was 12 years old, offshoot of the richest overman sperm from Goshzilla, baby god, new Dalai Lama. Give back the ornaments. Eh uh-uh, eh, what I earn, I keep. At hearts, both spider and fly were sons of the same soil. In their minds, their ambitions moved sky-high. The spider wanted a promotion for Top Cop. The fly, a cool life in Bangkok. With fly still in a corner, spider zigzagged up his web, cross-stitches, patchwork hitches. Just a beep from his mobile was enough for things to move. His policemen would ambush this epicenter, this point-of-game exchange. If this was the Chakra view, he was Dronacharya. A chopper out of here or the boy is dead, sings Fly. Was he Abhimanyu or Chanakya? But since we are sharing this hot copy, I can tell you a story. Fly knew Spider's weakness for intrigue, story, dead body or any damn fugue. A real story? Spider asked cautiously. The best and the cleanest heist story in the world. Spider hitched his eyebrow and fly started. One Christmas Eve, eight people pulled off the largest heist at the Continental Savings and Treasury Bank worth 50 million dollars. The brain behind this, Crow Crow, knew a thing or two about blueprints. He spent three years building models, recruiting and training, a team of seven men and one woman, some of whom he made the best spies. Some got worthwhile jobs in the bank. The lady, a voluptuous hottie, even opened a safe deposit account as a royal. But when put against one another, each had devastating personalities, competitive, selfish, Paranoid, sometimes distant, alien, murderous, volatile. Basically, they were all good at their jobs but completely dishonest with each other. The team never met in public and all wore disguises. Fake eyeglasses, moustaches, wigs, top to bot. They were the best in the business. Fly slyly glanced at his gadget. Three more minutes... The boy could be hurled down a skyscraper or made to vanish. But the ornaments inlaid with diamonds had to get out of this web. He weighed his slim chances. Go on, said Spider. Ah, as dress rehearsal, they decided to rob a national bank. It should have gone well, but went wrong with one dead man. That was because two mice were after the only juicy cheese. <laughs> and me, no passion distracts. Two minutes to go. Crocro was a bit shaken after this first murder. Paranoid that now his men could double cross him, he decided to double cross them rather. In a new plan, he waited until he figured out the combination to the Continental Bank's safe and postponed the heist so that he could rob it with a new crew that he was assembling behind everyone's back. Then said Spider. A sound vibrated on one of their gadgets. The most intensely awaited alert, which was deviously red. Well, now his own gang killed Crocrow. Fly pulled out a tiny paper from under his watch. When it was showtime, they went ahead and scored a perfect victory. They hit the bank early in the morning, armed with the combination to the safe, where one man played lookout with a feather duster and the others worked inside the vault. The booty wiped clean. It was later described as one of the neatest jobs ever. Even the tools used and left behind were of the finest workmanship. It too had something to tell. Now, my question to you is, what made the gang of such mismatched natures kill their own boss? If you don't answer correctly, I am off. Laughed off, spider. Boundless greed, of course. What else? That unified them. Fly pouted his lips. Mm wrong. He threw the bald chit across. Spider caught it for the answer. Unfurled and read it through spidery creases. Crow own training to put the goal ahead of everything got him killed. Single-mindedness is not such a good thing. And our boy, he was a red herring. Find him at Grant Road, P.O. Box 10. Good luck. Fly grew out a nuzzle. Fine hair on his limbs thinning, bulging eyes, big head. He grew wings under his weather-beaten black leather jacket as his legs and trunk shrunk. Spreading his wings, he headed to the escape vehicle arranged by one of his new diamond customer friends. When Spider looked up, he realized he got a good story but no action again. His team was late thanks to the horrific traffic jam. But no matter where you go fly, you have no clue of my web's extent. This until we meet again. Spider sipped the last of his filtered copy that now tasted bitter as poison. His mobile shivered just then. Bugs, Fly's right hand, was ready to strike a deal. Fly, now you can't go far. Bangkok, eh? Then other islands like a necklace running anti-clockwise. I will get you and this time won't listen to your stories. The silk fibres of spider's web glistened in the sun with a burning new resolution but the next story by fly would still be heard by spider how could anyone miss out on a tale of a heist at the museum of anthropology where the price of just one of the treasures an obsidian monkey was 20 million dollars curiosity So this is all from me this week, my friends. I will see you at the Emirates Airline Literature Festival, Habtour Palace, Dubai, if you are in Dubai. And be with you next week on my veranda. This is your host in the house, Rochelle Potkar, waving goodbye.